I just wanted to to jump in and just say, like, I I can't imagine the emotional swings it must take to go from the kind of corporate administrative type of position to doing something that while important work, somebody's got mm-hmm. to be dishing out ice cream and like, I'm glad there's people dishing out ice cream because <laughs> I like ice cream. But at the same time, that must totally mess with your sense of personal identity, right? Mm-hmm. Especially some lactose intolerance. So I couldn't sample any of it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, that's, that's no good. No that's eating no the profits. Um, but yes, it does. And the whole time I still had this spark you know this little fire in my belly like i really want to do the book and that's all i talked about was i want to do the book but i put that aside to try and save my marriage and then in 2019 in july and my husband decided that he wanted us to separate anyway he put an offer on the new bungalow and by this time i was back in an office job i'd had a couple more office jobs and i was working in a sales role working towards what should be a permanent role I was then told, oh, it'll be another month before we can issue a contract. Anxiety and depression are starting to kick in here and stress, and I was definitely feeling the stress. So I started making plans to not hold the sale of the house up and move to my parents. And then that month went by, and I was expecting the contract on the Friday. But on the Thursday, I got a phone call from the agency to say my contract was terminated from the next day. So here I am, losing my marriage, losing my house, and then lost my job as well. And I thought, no, I've got to sort this. I've got to get my head around it. I've got to stop running away from my emotions. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. Today's featured pivoter is Kay Reeve. Kay speaks and writes about emotional awareness. She's the author of Brain Unchained. It's a book created to help teenagers, young adults, and parents understand the four core emotions and build a strategy for positive emotional change. Kay and I met years ago when she included a reference to my TEDx talk in her TEDx talk. We were connected via social media and have stayed in touch ever since. But this was actually the first time we ever spoke face-to-face albeit via a video conference. In this conversation, Kay helps us understand what she believes are the four core emotions and a clear system for navigating them, plus how she came to this entire system, which she didn't invent, as you'll hear her say, she discovered through her personal experiences with her son. We also spoke at length about her own pivots in her career and her personal life. Kay was thrown one devastating curveball after another these past few years, and this episode is really a testament to resilience and creative adaptation. In particular, pay attention to how Kay actively and intentionally learned from each setback and used those lessons to inform her next move. What may have seemed like failures at the time laid the path for achieving her lifelong dream of becoming an author and a voice for positive change. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Kay. 
Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you Kay Reeve. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. Capture full, high-quality, raw audio in up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right, even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. All right, Kay, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to chat with you face-to-face and, well, it's not in person, but it's as close as we can get to in this world. Yeah, hi, and no, thank you for inviting me. And yes, lovely to actually be able to having a real conversation with you at last, because we've been um, sort of have this one on the back burner for a while, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's just, it's so interesting how we got connected. Uh, You and I both gave a TEDx talk, I think within a few months of each other, or at least they went live pretty, right? It was 2015 was mine? Uh, 2017 was mine. Um, oh, okay, yeah, so it was actually yeah. it was further apart than I than I thought. But somehow uh, you reached out to me. You got connected with me on the socials, um, and w- I remember when you reached out to me, you had said you had mentioned me in yours, which blew my mind. Yes, thank you. It cut ten minutes out of my speech. It was brilliant. <laughs> 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 Saved me going down a whole new rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, because yeah. uh, that's what I originally reached out to you on Twitter to say, could I use your photo and reference you? And uh, then shared the link once it came out um, because I was talking about emotional awareness. But part of it was about connecting with people and, and about it was it was actually based on the reference of Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People about understand before being understood. And your TEDx talk summed that up so perfectly. I just didn't see the point in repeating that 10 minutes. So I just said, Brian Miller's already done this bit. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. so funny. I mean, we're all standing, anybody in this kind of content area, we're all standing on Stephen Covey's shoulders in, in terms of that, you know, and it, to, to the point where when I do that in my presentations these days, it, it, you know, I actually have to uh, qualify it before I talk about that idea and say, listen, you've heard this before. I say that to my audiences, what I'm about to tell you, you've heard before. You've probably heard it a hundred times. The problem is we all needed to hear it. We all need to hear it one more time, right? It's like, yeah. it, you know, the idea that you need to listen to understand instead of to respond to reply. We're all like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I get it. But actually trying, actually doing it, it's phenomenally difficult to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, the one thing I found in particular is trying to get parents to take this concept away from the corporate world, away from the adult personal development world, and blend that into reconnecting with troubled teenagers and actually reconnecting families. And I think that's where I want to draw that concept across. Um, so, yeah, that that's came in very, very powerful, helping my son through depression and helping me be able to talk to him and listen to him and understand his point of view. Um, and that that really was a major part of how we ended up resolving some major issues. Yeah, so why don't you why don't you take us back then a little bit? So anybody at this point listening, watching will have heard my two sentence intro of who you are, but why don't you 
take us through, let's start with the, with the TEDx. What, you know, you gave us kind of, we just danced around it, but give us exactly what was your idea worth spreading? What were you doing in that TEDx talk? And also what were you up to in life at the time you gave that talk? Um, yeah, at the time I was uh, in burnout at work. I was trying to get out of the corporate world and I wanted to go on this mission of helping teenagers uh, understand emotional awareness to help them through depression. And it comes off the back of my son having suffered suicidal depression for around 12 years. And the first time he ever tried to take his life was at the age of eight. That was way too young and it was very long and sort of traumatic childhood for him. And this is without even having a troubled family background. This is, you know, we, as far as we're concerned, gave him a good family. Um, but he was diagnosed with Asperger's on the autistic spectrum when he was eight. And it was just so difficult trying to get him help. And we did get him some help, but it still wasn't helping in school. So we ended up home educating him and so on. Um, and then by the time he was a teenager, he got to a point I'd got this 19 year old walking around couldn't tell me what day of the week it was. He couldn't connect with concepts like time and money. And it, it was just like this body walking around that resembled my son, but he was barely in there. And it was just like those movies when you see that last wisp of hope that they're still in that body. And I did. I just needed to find a way to find him and bring him out again. And uh, it was just in sheer desperation. And it was actually through training I did in the corporate world um, that I realized that we we have these different methods of learning, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. And I tweaked, he's a visual learner. He needs to see something to understand it. So how on earth can you teach a teenager to see emotions and understand them? And this is where it came from. And so I sat down and started talking to him in terms of colors, because I'd always seen his moods as quite strong color references. And I didn't even know why, I just had. And so over a space of about a year, while I'm trying to work out of this job in, in a corporate world, getting through burnout, I'm also trying to deal with his suicidal depression and develop this system to teach him how to understand his emotions through a diagram of the emotional cycle. And it was when I realized the power of this simple but mindful diagram, this, this very basic sort of system, and that within weeks of teaching him this or starting to teach him this, he was helping friends. And one of his friends sat drinking coffee with us one day and just suddenly says, I've realized that hanging around with Matt makes me a better person. And it was like light bulb moment. This is no longer about my son. This is about doing something more with it. And when I found a way to draw the emotional cycle, what am I now meant to do with that? <laughs> And I can't really keep that to myself. And so my TEDx talk in 2017 was about having developed that first stage of what's in the book and having developed that to a point where we were ready to tell our story and set our mission. So that was what 2017 TEDx talk for me was for, was about saying, this is what we've been through. This is how we've struggled. This is where we couldn't get help. This is how we managed to find a way through and this is what we intend to do with it going forward. So taken a few years <laughs> from 2017, because I had a few more curveballs in life along the way, but we're there, we're here. <laughs> and uh, that's yeah. such an interesting, it's such an incredible path to, to go from trying to help one specific person and then seeing that help mm -hmm. ripple out 
from kind of kind of from the center, uh, you know, which is which is funny because you know TEDx, of course, is ideas worth spreading, and and so it's 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 so interesting. That is exactly the reason that TED is all about ideas worth spreading because if you can spread the idea to one person and they can spread it to 10 people and then all of a sudden very quickly it just goes right it goes out there in the world and as you were talking about uh the idea of relating kind of the emotional states to colors uh that made me think of uh synesthesia which is a uh uh um, I don't know how to de- how to describe this properly. It's yeah, some people. Yeah. yeah, some people hear uh, hear music in terms of colors, or they see numbers in terms of yeah. colors. Like they'll say a two feels like red, or um, or this song feels like blue, or you know, it, it's an association yeah. between two different parts of the brain. It's 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 incredibly rare, um, yeah. and and that that's what. That's what that made me think of. It also made me think of a kind of a pop culture reference. I'm guessing Pixar's uh, Inside Out gave you another way to uh, to look at viewing emotions in terms of visuals. I don't know if you got a chance to see to see that a few years ago. I did, but not until after I developed this system. And but at the end of the day, the system I've come up with, and I basically got it on here. This is the emotional diagram, and it is. It's based not it's not something I've created. It's based on what I've observed around the world. And it's like those moments where I'm just sitting there relaxed and all of a sudden my head is like, oh, and I have an idea. And it's like my thoughts go around the world and come back with all this information and go, whoa, now I get it. (laughs) So many moments like that. And it's about how we already talk about happiness in all the yellow colors, sunshine, and being up here on the top of the world, so for anybody who's not seeing us on video, um, yellow is at the top of this circle because we talk about all the happy emotions being on high, high energy. And um, then depression is about the pits, the rock bottom, stuck in darkness. So the black is at the bottom of the cycle. And then red is like red rag to a bull. And also we fight for things we love. So passion is sort of in the red zone as well. And it's all about action and whether we fight for or against something, it's all about fight. And then all the sadness, the grief and everything that's more thought based in the blue on the opposite side. Because we think we think about thoughts as air and emotions as water. So it's about taking those dynamics of what everybody already talks about and actually condensing them into this diagram. So instead of just trying to throw all of these words and concepts and quotes and theories at teenagers, we can say, look, here's the map. Yeah, well, I, I just I, no, 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 no. This is great. So I, I wanted to dig in on that. So talk me through how I would actually use that. I, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a teenager. I'm struggling with something, and uh, you've got this this diagram. And for anybody who's just listening, this will be in the show notes, so you can go look at look at the diagram while you're listening to this, if you like to. Um, so we've got this diagram. It basically had four components: the circle. The top was yellow. The bottom was black. Uh, yep. Right was red, and left was blue. Did I have that right? As I yep, looked that's at it, correct. as I, I was trying to that's get correct. it, because because I was like, did, was I seeing this reversed in my screen or not? You never really know on a video call. So yeah. I, let's say I'm going through a um, uh, depressive episode or ex- or a, a, a exhibiting signs of depression. And by the way, you may or may not know my wife is a marriage and family therapist. And so that's this is what she does for a living. She's a licensed um, uh, LMFT. Um, so she actually works with kids um, anywhere from four years old to uh, teenagers on, um, you know, in kind of at risk families and very difficult okay. situations. So I'm I'm oh. I'm. 
intimately yeah. familiar with um, this whole world through my wife, um, in addition to my own experiences with um, anxiety and, and depression, secondary to anxiety in, in my past. Talk me through how you would actually use this circle to to help somebody, to bring them um, out of it or help oh. them see their own way out. Yeah, I think the main thing is helping them to see that when they talk about emotions and they feel them, it's like a map. And I think a great way to imagine a map is you have to know where you are and where you want to be to plan that journey in between. And being able to show them this visual diagram of here's depression at the bottom of the map, there's happiness at the top. And the only way between the happiness and the depression is to go through the red or the blue and actually travel down through that map. And when we talk about light at the end of the tunnel, you've, the two tunnels, again, are the red and the blue, and you have to choose one of those to work back through your problems to find that happy place again. And also there's uh, two other components to this. In the, the centre of the diagram is a small orange circle, and that represents inner change. And there's an orange band around the end, edge, <coughs> excuse me, which represents outer change. And one of the biggest things that helped my son to realize that when he's in any emotional state other than happy or even in happy, the reason we change between emotions is because something changed. And helping him to look at whether that was inner or outer change and what they can do to make changes back gives them that power to start plotting their way back up to a happy place. And when we talk about positive and negative as well, so all that yellow at the top is positive and black at the bottom is negative, it's like, well, if you're not in one, you're in the other. You know, they are your choices. It's just giving them that visual sense of direction. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a, it's a really well-designed, because it's so funny, you know, I, I've only learned about it in you know from you in the last five minutes and i've got it like i've got it already like which means it's really it's it's sticky like it's it's easy to understand and the way you described it as uh almost like a game uh board uh you can imagine if you were playing a board game like the only way to get from here to there you can't you it's like if the rules of the game are you can't skip you have to go through one space at a time well and then there's two different so you can take either path to get from one place to another or um, and, and then you also have to figure out, is it the outer change or the inner change? Now that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious about that. When you refer to outer and inner change, do you mean the way we talk about, um, internal motivation versus external motivation? Or are you talking about something else? Like, for example, sometimes the easiest way to change how we feel is actually just to put on different clothes, right? To wear something different, like in terms of. It literally just just superficial change helps us see. In fact, there's phenomenal studies like people do better on tests when they're dressed wearing a doctor's lab coat than when they're dressed wearing like sweatpants because when they're wearing a doctor's mm. lab coat, they feel smarter and then they actually do better on tests, which is mm. fascinating. Is that the kind of superficial like outer versus inner or is it something totally different? It's actually that and a lot more. I mean, so when you're talking about somebody wearing different clothes, that's an outer change. But that changes their inner mindset um, because of their own beliefs and their own self-empowerment. But at the same time, an outer change could also be losing a job or meeting a new person. It could be perhaps having an accident, you know, bumping into something. And it could be anything. <clears throat> and actually, that conversation leads nicely to the second model, which is about 
the inner and outer change and it breaks that down. So when I'm talking to my son about, okay, what changed between emotions? Well, something is because something changed. I said, how do I explain to him an infinite world of possibilities of change? And, you know, we can break that down to inner and outer change, but there was something missing there. And it took me a couple of years to really put this second part together and a lot of deep thought processes and research and watching videos and people and watching the news. Um, I'm probably one of the few people that's watched all eight seasons of Game of Thrones for the purpose of research, but it was brilliant. <laughs> but I eventually realized there are only five changes in the whole world we can face, whether that is inner or outer. And that was health, emotional, logical, physical and social. And I thought once you realize that instead of trying to break problems down, we chunk them up, it gives them a really good solid starting point for eliminating a lot of problems as well. And then also identifying, okay, well, if my emotions are out of sync today because, um, well, I, well, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe we need to look at health. Are you hydrated? Have you eaten properly? And if they have, okay, then we maybe need to look at one of the other categories. Well, we know you're feeling out of sync emotionally. We'll come back to that. Logically, what's going on? What information are you missing? Um, is there somebody else you need to speak to and so on? And then, you know, it might be socially. Have they had an argument with somebody? Are they lonely? So it's about working through these categories and starting to eliminate issues and also identify things that they might not have thought about. So about really breaking down that inner and outer change into more constructive topics for conversation, really. And each part of the book has then got a parent toolbox. So if they grasp the concept of the colors and the changes, it's a great way of them being able to go to a teenager or a young adult and actually ask all the appropriate questions to find out what's really going on in their life. And that's where the power of this came from. So no, it's it's amazing. So let's go back then to because uh, this is you know, this whole season is about pivoting and in 2020 in particular the the big pivot that so many people had to make and organizations yeah. and individuals and many many people did not survive the pivot um, in terms of uh, restaurants just got just mm -hmm. destroyed the entire live event industry which is my industry got wiped out overnight you know mm -hmm. um, as you as you know uh, the first uh, first guest of this season um, you know Caroline you know she had worked for 10 years for Cirque du Soleil and That's well Cirque yeah. du Soleil 99% of their workforce was fired basically overnight and they declared bankruptcy and so there's so many stories but then there's other people that I talked to which is I expect what your story is which you got almost I imagine you kind of got forced into a pivot and decided as long as I have to pivot and do something else I may as well go do something that I really want to do that's for me so uh, yeah. before COVID hit what were you doing and then what happened when COVID <laughs> hit <laughs> um yeah certainly well as I said I left the corporate world in 2017 uh, just after doing the TEDx talk to focus on doing the book and building the business the first pivot was given an ultimatum between my job and my marriage. And so I chose my marriage. I wanted to save my marriage. We'd been together 26, 25 years at this point. And so I put the book to one side for a while. So for the last three years, I then had to refine work and that resulted in having eight jobs in three years, part-time, temporary, seasonal, a lot of stuff I really didn't enjoy. So I've been 
you know, gone from corporate administrator down to serving ice cream and washing up in care homes. So I've had wow. a series of pivots <laughs> as well wow. as some family issues, which we'd had to resolve as well. quite traumatic ones. Um, I have so, to say just real quick, I, I can't even relate to that because I've gotten so lucky. I've been self-employed always. I've literally mm. never had another job. I've never worked for anybody. Wow. I've never done. I worked at McDonald's when I was 16 years old for eight months, right? That was my job. And then I went, well, let's do magic tricks anyway. And instead, mm. and then I have just been on this track. So when I talk to people that have done, I just wanted to to jump in and just say like, I I can't imagine the emotional swings it must take to go from the kind of corporate administrative type of position to doing something that while important work, somebody's got mm. to be dishing out ice cream. And like, I'm glad there's people dishing out ice cream because <laughs> I like ice cream. But at the same time, that must totally mess with your sense of personal identity, right? Mm. Especially some lactose intolerance. So I couldn't sample any of it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, that's, that's no good. No that's eating no the profits. Um, but yes, it does. And the whole time I still had this spark you know this little fire in my belly like i really want to do the book and that's all i talked about was i want to do the book but mm -hmm. i put that aside to try and save my marriage and then in 2019 in july and um, my husband decided that he wanted us to separate anyway so we put the house on the market and because of all the brexit issues going on that wasn't selling and then mm -hmm. eventually in the january the votes went through we had a load of viewers in a week we got an offer he put an offer on a new bungalow. And by this time, I was back in an office job. I'd had a couple more office jobs. And I was working in a sales role, working towards what should be a permanent role. And I was then told, oh, it'll be another month before we can issue a contract. And I was at the point I was ready to move forward from the marriage and put my money, you know, my deposit, move it forward to a new mortgage. And then I'm delayed another month. So it's like anxiety and depression are starting to kick in here and stress and I was definitely feeling the stress so I started making plans to not hold the sale of the house up and move to my parents mm. and then that month went by and I was expecting the contract on the Friday but on the Thursday I got a phone call from the agency to say my contract was terminated from the next day so here I am losing my marriage losing my house and then lost my job as well um, I spent the next three weeks ill because um, there's no proof what I had, but I think I, if, if it wasn't the coronavirus, it was something mm. pretty evil. Um, mm. I wasn't very well for a few weeks, and it took me many months to really get my breathing back where I wanted it. Mm. But on the top of that, we then went into lockdown together for the last four months of separation before I finally moved out. During that time, I applied for another job, and I actually finally, after three years of part-time jobs, in the middle of a pandemic, got another corporate job offer. And it was teaching positive thinking skills to minor offenders, so uh, under a contract for probation services. And I was like, right, at least it's in the right direction. It's not the book, but it's in the right direction. It's helping people who need support with their emotions. They need to put their life back together. And I was really excited about this. So I finally moved out of my parents after a month there, I moved into my new flat, was unpacking on the Sunday night, still ready to go away on tra training on Monday morning. And for the next three months, I was training for this new job. Now, considering I'd applied on the 3rd of March, we're now in August, September, I'm doing the training. So I'd been a long hold up. 
And then they changed strategies because of the pandemic and didn't discuss it with me. And they put me on a third training course I hadn't expected. And when I got there and I'd driven two and a half hours, this training course it was halfway through the week. And I realized they're training me to teach skills to full on domestic violence offenders in the high risk category. And I hit sheer panic mode at this point. Mm. I ended up um, in the worst situation I could imagine is I left that on the Friday night feeling like full on signs of PTSD. And literally, oh God, I'm going to wobble saying this. I literally cried the whole two and a half hour journey home in the middle of a hurricane um, in October. And I thought, no, I've got to sort this. I've got to get my head around it. I've got to stop running away from my emotions. And so I'm and in the meantime, I'd also found out in the first six, seven weeks of the marriage ending after 28 years now, um, my husband had already moved on. So that was another kick. So I was just having emotional blow after emotional blow after emotional blow last year. And I was on the floor by now. So never mind all my son's depression. I'm dealing with my own last year. Mm. And um, I tried for the next couple of weeks to carry on getting my head around doing the inductions for the job and say, no, it'll be all right once I get in there, once I do it, I'll be okay. But it was like somebody had chucked a bucket of water over a fire and said, now burn. <laughs> And there was nothing. There was no spark. It had gone. And so it was October. I decided to hand in a month's notice. I had to work my month's notice, oddly enough, even though I'd never actually done a day's work in the office at this point. And I finished on the 7th of November, which was the very day we went straight into the second lockdown. So now I'm faced with suddenly sitting at home with nothing to do. Um, on my own for the first time in my life. I'd never lived on my own before. And I thought, what am I going to do for the next? Because it was only meant to have been 28 days lockdown. This was November and we're still in it. But anyway, at the time, I'm just thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do for 28 nights on my own in this emotional state? And I thought, do you know what? The one thing I can do is talk. <laughs> so at two days notice, I decided to go on Facebook hit Facebook Live and get guests on and do a talk about mental health awareness every night for 28 nights in a row. Mm -hmm. And that was my savior. That helped me so much through that following month. To while, while I worked in the background on me last year, motivation, meditation, affirmations, yoga, you know, doing all the aromatherapy things, everything that I could to work on me, um, including obviously by then some counseling. And I'm not ashamed to say, when you need help, you need help. And oh, sure. the worst thing to do is actually deny yourself that help. Why would you? I, I, I just published this week. Uh, it was a theme of the what I was putting out on social media this week is the the fact that asking for help is a sign of strength. And it's in fact, yeah. it's the smartest people who ask for the most help. Um, I just told this yeah. story this week on social, but in case you didn't see it or anybody listening didn't hear it, you know, there was one time when I was um, struggling in high school with a math class and I, my parents were mathematicians and I'd been good at math all my life, naturally, never had to work at it. And then I hit that wall, finally hit a class first time in my life where I didn't get it instinctively. And I said to my dad, I'm having trouble. And he said, well, have you gone in for extra help? Because my teachers all had extra help hours. And I remember, I, you know, I was like the top A student all my life. And I said, what? No, only dumb kids go for extra help. And my dad, I'll never forget yeah. it. He said, no, Brian, only smart kids go for extra help. You know, and I went in <laughs> well and it was, it was like the top 10 in my class was who was in there every morning getting extra help. And you're like, oh, 
that's why they're the top 10 in the class because they're getting extra help. Yeah. So yeah, I um I don't don't mean to mm. tell a silly story to take away from everything you you no, you no, just no. said. That's such um it's such I'm trying to avoid roller coaster of emotions because that makes oh, me feel like I'm talking about the bachelor. <laughs> but yeah. but seriously, I mean what a year from the job mm. you thought you were going to do to the marriage, the house stuff. You know, and that's yeah. something that is something that the pandemic has created a silver lining, which is I think that more people are more understanding of uh, when it comes to the workplace of the fact that everyone they work with is a real person with a real life outside of the yeah. workplace. There's a lot more forgiveness and understanding around being late to meetings or being a little extra stressed today or needing an extra mm -hmm. day off on no notice. And um, do you feel like that as well? Yeah, I can do. But when I was, I must admit, when I worked for an offshore wind farm, I worked under a, a Norwegian culture there and it was amazing. And mm. that was where I got introduced to the concepts of personal development and, and books like Stephen Covey, uh, Matthew mm. Syed, Black Box Thinking, and a number of other books that managers recommended or office workers talked about. And the whole culture there was so amazing. And I had one of the, this was at the time actually when my, my son was about uh, 15 and he was going through that suicidal depression. Well, he might have been a bit older, actually, about 18. And he was really struggling, and I was struggling to cope with him, having to often spend two or three hours of an evening talking him out of pits of depression while still trying to do this, learn and do this job as well. And I had the most amazing manager, and it's it's hard, hard not to describe him, but he's this um, very tall, six foot six, Viking of a man with a very chiseled looks, shock of white hair, and his big black bushy brows and black glasses to match. And he, he just, he couldn't, you could not miss him walking down the street. And he, he just had this sort of really low voice, but very soft voice. But at the same time, as big and outstanding as he was, he was the one person who'd take one look at my face. And instead of shouting at me, yelling at me, why hasn't this been done? Why hasn't that been done? I want this done today. And you need to put that to me. He was like, office and that's all he'd say office and he'd point to his office and he'd walk in and he'd say talk and that's all he'd say but he knew something was wrong and he knew he was smart enough to know that to take two minutes to listen to me meant that I'd get a weight off my shoulders and get on with my day's work and actually be really constructive knowing I felt supported and he inspired me so much and the whole culture of that place was like that it was just incredible wow. And so I that's, know there that's are people amazing. out there like so, it. So few people have, and, and, and this is also part of the fact that I'm coming from that perspective is I live in America where the corporate world is absolutely ruthless, you know, to the mm -hmm. point where women don't even get time off for having a baby. Like, you know, I mean, or yeah. if they do, Goodness. if they do, there's no guarantee that their job will come back. And even if they're guaranteed their job, there's a stigma once they take that time off and come back. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's just so brutal here and and you're in the UK and it's not mm. that different that corporate environment it's not normally it's, no yeah. yeah I mean there there's a pretty I don't, it's probably not as well when I think mm. of the UK and America I think similar in terms of the cutthroat business world the difference is the 
public facing attitude is more reserved in the UK, whereas Americans will just tell you what they think as they're walking yeah. down the street or just <laughs> yell something at you as they walk by. Um, yeah. I feel my instant my what I understand from many of my friends and colleagues in the UK is you guys will all think that you just don't yell it out loud. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> the Norwegians, too, because they couldn't understand well, how that's how I ended up with the job in the first place, actually, because these managers came over. To, to take turns on a weekend to manage this information point about this wind mm. farm they were about to build. And on the first weekend, as people start coming in and asking questions, they said, well, we understand English really well, but we don't understand what they want us to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, we need somebody with local knowledge. So that's how I ended up with the job. So my job was to manage the information point and liaise between all the local um, communities and uh, the, the local community, the business holders, the holiday makers, and this corporate company in, in Norway. So I was this sort of like link in the middle. So I very quickly yeah. learned that when people come in and asked a question, what it was they actually wanted to know, the real story. And the success of that was just by being able to understand and use that empathic skill to listen, not to what they said, but what they meant behind it, meant I could quickly give them the right information, have them absolutely fascinated about the wind farm and leaving with a smile on their face instead of threatening to burn things down. <laughs> so that's that's so good. Yeah. My, I'm thinking about seasons ago, a bunch of seasons ago, my friend Christy Lindor was on here. She's one of my TEDx uh, clients. I coached her on her TEDx talk and she's a rock star management consultant. And she said mm -hmm. the, the key to her success as a consultant uh, was that you don't answer the question, you answer the question behind the question. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So useful. Uh, um, yeah. So as we're pulling on into the kind of the end here, Kay, I, so your mm. pivot really was, you you clearly did not choose to make the pivots you made in 2020. No. You got thrown into them, but you yeah. did choose how to emerge on the other side of it. And you've emerged <laughs> with the book as an author, with a podcast, all these things you'd put off for yes. years. Um, mm. So I've got a few questions to wrap up about that, which I ask mm. everybody. I've been told this first question is incredibly difficult. So feel free to take a second to think about your answer. Okay. And if you have an extra long pause, I will cut that out in post <laughs> unless it is particularly long so that it's funny, in which case it will be all over my social media. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it probably will be. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so the question is quite simply, if you had to describe 2020, your 2020, in just one word, what would that be? Rock bottom. Mm. Two, two we'll put words, a hyphen sorry. in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. We'll put a hyphen. <laughs> we'll rock bottom. We'll put a hyphen there. Yeah. Now, anybody listening to this might not, uh, that's not a very inspiring thing about 2020. And yet, you're here, we're talking, you have a book, you have a podcast, you have a lot to to show for it. So what I wanna follow up with then is, what characteristics or personality traits of yours uh, would you say were critical to your survival this year to being able to get through that rock bottom year? Determination, mm -hmm. absolutely determination to not end the year the way it had gone up through to November. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to completely transform how the year came out. And it was that determination to do that that pushed me through. Yeah, that's great. So in that case then, the last question I have for you is at, uh, well, and before I ask you it, where would you like people to go connect with you, to go find you, plug the book, anything you wanna do here, social medias? 
Um, yeah, everything, uh, links to social media, etc., and all the links to the book, because it's available in 13 countries, that's all on kreave.co.uk. Great. And we'll have uh, that and we'll have the individual links in the in the show notes uh, mm. as well. So the last question is, what is your outlook at this point on the future of your new work as as an author, as an emotional awareness coach? Uh, what is your outlook at this point? Really promising. I'm really excited about the book being just the first step. I'm going to be building courses on the back of that. I've recently signed up with my own coaches because, like you said, smart people know to get help. So I've set myself up the money mindset coach, a business coach, a health coach, and Great. just this week joined an international uh, networking organization as well. Because, again, determination that this year is not going to fail off the back of the pivot moments of last year. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, and and I love that you said you've got a bunch of coaches of your own. I think very mm -hmm. few people, if you're into the world of coaches, you totally understand the value. And, and what most people don't realize if they've never hired a coach um, outside of maybe a personal trainer at the gym, which by the way, it isn't that different from that. It's just for different parts of your life. It's for mindset parts of your life. But what most people don't realize if they've never hired a coach is that all of the successful people you see and aspire to have coaches. They Ooh. all have coaches. And, you know, while I'm a business coach for many people, um, I also hire a business coach every year for me. Right. Uh -huh. And like my, you know, it's like my wife, as I said, is a therapist and they have this, you know, this expression shrinks need shrinks. Right. Therapists yes. <laughs> need to see a therapist to talk about stuff. Well, I'm a business coach, but I need somebody else's vantage point, a different perspective to see my business and what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm a speaking coach, but when I need to write mm -hmm. a speech, I ask somebody else to look at my speech because I can't do yes. it for myself. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think that's great that you've gone out and sought, you, you know, help in so many different areas. And I really mm -hmm really wish you the best in terms of the book and building your whole thought leadership platform around this because I think 2020 was a great year for anybody like you who've wished for years that you could go into something for yourself, that you could mm -hmm. take your passion, the thing you want, the dent you want to make in the universe and and really get it out there. And 2020, getting slammed in the face with everything coming to a halt was as good a year as any to go yeah. off and give it a shot. So thank you. And it was actually yeah. faced, faced with that thoughts of 28 day lockdown. Um, and like you said about positive mindset, just throw this in a positive mindset was, okay, every writer's dream is to have a month uninterrupted. Okay. <laughs> what did I have ahead That's of right. me? A month to write my book. And actually I did call a book coach and said to him, I want my book out by spring. And he said, why spring? He yeah. said, I want my copy by Christmas. And on the 23rd of December, it was actually only took me 12 days to write it after all that. It was long days, but I actually signed his copy second. But first of all, I signed my son's copy live on Facebook on the 23rd of December in time for Christmas. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, Kay, it's such a pleasure mm -hmm. to, to catch up with you, to speak with you personally, face to face. And uh, you and I will be seeing each other again uh, very shortly. Yes. Although at the time mm. this comes out, it will have been reversed because yours will be live and mine will take months to come out. But yes, in any absolutely. regard, I will see you shortly. <laughs> yes, we'll do. Yes. That's uh, I think a week on Tuesday on the live on my Facebook page. So, yes. Mm.